0: Okay, you, uh, I seem to remember a, a little while ago, I might have shared with you how um, I like to try out my acting on Steph at home quite a bit. Uh, and just in, in funny little ways, um, trying to maybe stretch the truth a little bit to see how long it takes before she realizes that I'm just messing around. We call it acting, I think it's a nicer way of, of uh, phrasing it. But we, we do this... Um, and she's, she's, I, I pride myself sometimes on how long it takes for her to realise that I'm actually just messing around and it's not actually true. But this came back to bite me in a really frustrating way uh, last week. Uh, we went to prayer and equipping um, and the morning we were leaving I was loading the car up. Uh, and we had a bag of stuff for Eva which was full of games and crafts and things for her to do over the over the couple of days and I I made sure that was in the car Um, but she's also got her own little bag it's got a monkey on it we call it the monkey bag it's quite an original name for the the bag and uh, this is her bag that she takes to preschool and it has her things in it and that was kind of around in the house but I thought we don't need that for when we're going away as long as we've got this craft bag that's fine so I packed this one bag in the car we're about 20 minutes down the road uh, and Steph turns to me and she says did you pack Eva's bag Is it definitely in the car And in that moment, I thought, oh, maybe I was meant to pack the the monkey bag as well. So I said to her, I was like, what bag do you mean? And she looks at me, and she's like, you're winding me up, aren't you? And I'm just like, no, I'm just being serious. I don't know what bag you're talking about. Can you please tell me what bag it is? She starts laughing at me and saying, I know you. You're you're messing around. You're acting. She says, I can tell because your voice goes higher when you're acting. I'm getting really frustrated, which is making my voice go higher and higher. And I'm... Stood there just trying to explain to her, I'm like, I don't know what bag you mean. I, I wanted to know because I thought maybe I should have packed this other bag. And there was just, I was getting, it, you were cracking up. You thought it was hilarious. And I was getting more and more frustrated. And do you know who I had to blame? No one but myself. I bought this entirely on myself. And the um, story of the boy who cried wolf just came into my mind. I was like, I've experienced that for myself now. But the reason I'm saying this is because Steph was, was unable to work out what was uh, what was true and what wasn't, and it led to this real confusion uh, in that moment for us. And I think it's a fairly good picture of the way, the way the world is, or that the world can be. Particularly in an age of social media, you may have heard of uh, phrases such as fake news, alternative facts, we've got Wikipedia which is open to anyone can put whatever they want on the, on the internet, whether it's true or not, or whether there's a basis <laughs> for it or not and it can open us up to a lot of uncertainty particularly when we're trying to navigate what's true and what's not it can be very confusing actually to really understand what truth what is true there was an article on the BBC website of March of this year and its headline I thought was very telling the headline was lies propaganda and fake news a challenge for our age I don't know if you can relate to that but I think that's true there is a real challenge for us to be able to understand what is true, to be able to discern what is true and what's not. And it does feel like we really have to navigate carefully around these things. Um, I also think that there's a bit of an attitude, I don't know if attitude's the right word, but a way of thinking of what's true for you might not be true for me. You might believe that to be true, but I don't, so that really has no bearing on me. And I don't, I feel like people don't really like talking in absolutes anymore. It seems very, lots of grey areas and very vague because there's no real definition of what is true and what's not anymore. Last week, when James led us in communion, I'm hoping I've remembered this correctly, that one of the verses he chose was when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. Jesus said that he is the truth. Jesus was concerned about the truth being revealed and about the truth being made known. And actually knowing what the truth is, is so, so vital and so important. This morning we're in John. We're going to be starting in chapter 2 from verse 23. If you've got your Bibles, if you can be finding your way there. In the passage we're about to read, John's having a conversation and we'll we'll find out in a moment who he's having a, a conversation with. And as he he converses with this person, he says three times. So not once, not twice, but three times he says this phrase. He says, truly, truly, I say to you. What Jesus is saying, he's like, look, you need to listen to me. I'm telling you the truth. What I'm saying is to be trusted. He says it three times, real emphasis. I'm telling you the truth. You need to hear this. And while that's true of the context of what we're looking at this morning, it's also true in the context of our wider series. This series that we've called Conversations with Jesus, where we're looking at encounters and conversations where Jesus was explaining who he is. He's explaining what he'd come to do, but he was also challenging and and provoking people and, and bringing change into their lives. And what he's doing when he's doing that is he's revealing truth to people. He's revealing what is true about himself. Now, this conversation this morning is between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. I want to start actually just three verses before we're introduced to Nicodemus. And I'll explain why in a moment. So let's start from verse 2 and 23. Uh, So it says, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man. For he himself knew what was in man. are you the teacher of Israel? Yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So in our series, this is the longest of our conversations that we've come to so far. There's quite a lot in there for us to unpack together. But why did I include those three verses before we get to Nicodemus? I included them because it provides us with, I think it's a really key insight, and which helps us to understand the varied approaches that Jesus takes when he encounters people throughout the Gospels. None of the encounters are the same. The the approach and the tact that he takes is very different depending on who he's speaking to. Last week, when we were looking at Jesus turning the water into wine at the wedding at Cana, the disciples, they saw the miracle as a sign that pointed to something beyond the miracle itself. They understood that it spoke of who Jesus was. It spoke of what Jesus had come to do. And it's because of that that they, they believed in him. They saw what it was pointed to. To now John, he tells us that there are others who have witnessed some of the signs that Jesus has been doing. And it says that they, that they believed in him. Uh, they had some sort of faith. But it's not the faith that Jesus was looking for. It says that while they were looking to entrust themselves to him, Jesus didn't entrust themselves to, to them. It wasn't the kind of faith that Jesus was looking for. Because Jesus knows what is in man. Jesus knows what's in a person's heart. Jesus knows what's going on in in the hidden places, so with this group, while they may say they believed in Jesus, he could see exactly what was going on. He kind of saw what, what was going on behind the scenes, he saw it for what it is. His knowledge of people's hearts, of knowing what's really going on the inside, of seeing the hidden places, means that there's a real diversity in the way he approaches individuals in the Gospels. Hopefully we'll see that as we go through. Let me explain a bit. So sometimes his approach is going to be really direct and really blunt. Like he's cutting right to, to, the, to the core of what is uh, behind someone's thinking and behind their behavior. Sometimes it'd be like that. But then we'll find, I think, with next week in, in particular, other times it's, it's gentler. He kind of takes a bit more time in, in bringing someone into the conversation. And then he makes his point. So we have different people with different approaches. Why? Because Jesus can see what's actually going on in someone. He can cut through flattery. He can cut through praise. He can see what might be presented on the outside to see what's going on on the inside. And the approach he takes tells us something of what's going on on the inside of someone. And this is true for Nicodemus. The approach that Jesus takes tells us really what's going on with him. John gives us this insight just before introducing Nicodemus. Now Nicodemus was a Jew, so he was part of God's people, he was part of God's nation by birth, that was his race, he was part of it. He was also a Pharisee, the Pharisees were known for strict observance to the law, they had a desire for pure religion, it was very important to them the way that people lived uh, in, in observance to the law. He was also a distinguished teacher, he was learned, he was knowledgeable. His knowledge of the scriptures would have been deep, they would have been comprehensive, he would have known his stuff would have known what he was talking about. Not only that, we're also told that he was a ruler of the Jews. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. They were uh, the assembly of the Hebrew high court judges. So in terms of his status within the community, he would have been held in very high esteem. His status would have been very high. As a well-taught and devout Jew, he would have been living with an expectation and an anticipation of the arrival of God's kingdom at the end of history. So God was going to come, God was going to rescue his people, God was going to bring his kingdom in at the end of history in order for them to experience eternal life. That would be the coming together of all things when God comes together as people. That's what his expectation would have been. That's what he was waiting for. Now, Nicodemus, he comes to Jesus in a manner, actually, when you look at it, it's fairly respectful. He comes fairly humbly. He's addressing Jesus as rabbi which is the hebrew word for teacher jesus hasn't got any kind of formal training or formal qualification so for for nicodemus with a guy of his stature to ad- address Jesus as rabbi actually that, that's a fairly respectful thing he's recognized something in jesus there's a curiosity and an open-mindedness about him as he comes to speak with jesus a recognition of what jesus has been doing he recognises that it's clear that God is with Jesus. Not that he necessarily understands what that means, but that he, he recognises that there's something different about him and that God's involved in that. But while no question is asked, there is a question that's implied, I think. The question that's implied could be something like this. Okay, so Jesus, we recognise this about you. Who are you then? Is really what he's getting to. Who, who are you? We recognise this about you, but who are you? Jesus' response is quick Jesus' response is actually pretty forceful, and he gets right to the point. Jesus' response to Nicodemus is this. He says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. You must be born again. That's what Jesus says to him. Let's go back to what I said a moment ago about Jesus seeing what's in people's hearts. Jesus' approach is fairly direct. Jesus' approach is fairly blunt. It's fairly to the point, but that's because with Jesus' response, it's a response to what he sees and what's going on in Nicodemus. And Jesus is exposing something in it. And what Jesus is exposing in Nicodemus is a sense of self-satisfaction. That's what Jesus can see, and that's what Jesus is really cutting to straight away. You see, Nicodemus, a devout Jew, would have presumed that his place in the coming kingdom was guaranteed. He would have been confident that his place in the coming kingdom was a sure thing on the grounds of his race because of the fact that he was a part of God's people. Not only that, he was a devout and upstanding Pharisee. He was a a distinguished teacher, uh, a civic leader, well-respected, successful, moral, disciplined. If we're talking about credentials, his credentials were impressive. In that community, he he was an impressive person. But Jesus kind of brushes all of that aside in a way, pushes all, the, all of that to one side. And what Jesus is saying is actually, um, that is not everything that Nicodemus might hold on to and might um, find his satisfaction in and might even be able to boast in. Jesus is saying that is not what's required to enter the kingdom. To see the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. This is a big challenge that God's presenting here to a guy like Nicodemus. Essentially, Jesus says that Nicodemus, who by all accounts is a good man, we've got no reason to think otherwise. He's saying Nicodemus has done nothing to earn a place in heaven. It's a really cut in, gets very deep, very quickly. See, Nicodemus is a problem. And it's a problem that all of us have in common. And that problem is sin. Tim Keller, I'm going to um, quote him in, in just a while, and he very helpfully says that actually when we talk about sin, we have to be aware that it carries a lot of cultural baggage with it in terms of the way that it, it's been used and the way that people generally in, in our communities and in our culture would understand it. He says how sometimes it's used as a way of describing uh, with an us and them Sort of attitude. When we talk about sin, we're describing people who are not like us. We could never be like that, and we're setting up a, a, a divide, a distinction between us and them. But he says, actually, what we need is a, a real biblical understanding of what sin is, because when we understand that, it all puts us on the same playing field. Because it helps us to realise that all of us have sinned, and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, and all of us need uh, need to be rescued from that. In his book Encounters with Jesus, Tim Keller he says that sin is looking to something else besides god for your salvation. That's a good biblical understanding of what sin is. Looking to something else besides god for your salvation, it's putting yourself in the place of god. It's becoming your own savior and lord as it were. That's the biblical definition of sin. The first of the 10 commandments. First of the 10 commandments is you are to have no other gods but me. Jesus actually goes on to expand on that later on. He says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Biblical definition of sin is actually when we even fail in that first commandment. One way, Keller goes on, one way to do this is to break all the moral rules in your pursuit of pleasure and happiness. I think perhaps that's how sin is understood culturally what people outside of the church might if you were to ask them what sin was you know there's a set of rules you break them or you keep them so things that are good or things that are bad um, that might be the way that it's understood culturally and actually that's one way uh, in which we we can do that we can break all the moral rules in pursuit of pleasure and happiness keller continues he says that this makes sex or money or power into a kind of salvation but then there is the religious way to be your own savior and lord that is to act as if your good life and moral achievements will essentially require God to bless you and answer your prayers the way that you want. In that, ca- in that case, you are looking to your moral goodness and your efforts to give you the significance and security that non-religious people might look to in sex, money and power to give them. Sin is a very broad thing. Look into anything besides God for your salvation. Who did Jesus spend his time with when he was on earth among people? Who did he choose to spend his time with? Jesus, he spent time with the greedy. He spent time with the sexually immoral. He spent time with the outcasts. He spent time with the rejects, with the marginalized. Jesus spent time with those who, as a Jew, he would have been expected not to mix with. Jesus spent time with people who would very quickly and commonly have been labeled as sinners. They're the people that Jesus spent time with. Sinners in need of grace. Sinners in need of someone coming in and rescuing them in spite of the fact that they didn't deserve it. Nicodemus, though he did not see it himself, was as equally, as much a sinner in need of grace as any of those other people that Jesus spent time with. And so are all of us. Because we all look to something other than God for our salvation. Nicodemus, he's compiled a very good CV. On paper, it's a very impressive guy. As far as he was concerned, he's done everything right. He could list off a, a load of achievements, qualifications. He could get very good references from people, without doubt. But when we come to Jesus, we don't bring a CV of our efforts and attitudes and exchange it for salvation, We don't say this is a list of everything that I've done and achieved and earned. I'm going to exchange it for eternal life. That is not what we do. No, when we come to Jesus, we bring everything of us. We do bring the things we excel in. We do bring our efforts. We do bring our achievements. But do you know what else we bring? We also bring our failings. We also bring our failures. We bring the things that other people are aware of. We bring those things that we hope no one else will ever find out about us. We bring the whole lot to him. And whatever we bring falls well short of what is required in order to, to have a relationship with God. It's true for Nicodemus. It's true for us. Nicodemus, he's, he's having some real trouble here, trying to understand what Jesus means by being born again. He, he, he kind of addresses it in a bit of a literal sense. He's like, how can... I'm not quite sure what's going on here. How can you say, am going to be born again, I'm... Uh, A bit too big for that. Um, You're saying I have to go back into my mother's womb and be born again. That doesn't make any sense. He's kind of missed the point of what Jesus is saying. Jesus says you need to be born of both water and spirit. That's what it means to be born again. Still Nicodemus is struggling. And Jesus seems a little bit taken aback by this. And he questions how... He's like, Nicodemus, how do you not understand these things? You're a, you're a teacher of Israel. How do you not understand these things that I'm saying to you? And actually this helps, in terms of understanding what Jesus is talking about, in terms of being born of water and spirit, the fact that he ex- expected Nicodemus to have understood it means that we can find out what Jesus is referencing in the Old Testament. This was Nicodemus' area of expertise. In Ezekiel 36... 25 to 27. It's a promise of God for his people. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is a promise from God for his people. Last week, uh, as we were heading into a time of response, I shared a verse in the New Testament that says that all of the promises of God find their fulfilment in Jesus. Last week, again, with Jesus... Um, Turning the water into wine, the water he used was from the ceremonial jars that were used for purification and for cleansing. And in doing so, Jesus says that when uh, through his sacrifice and through his death and resurrection, he fulfills the requirements of purification and cleansing. He washes us clean, he presents us as holy and as blameless. That's what God does when he cleans us. That's where the, the water element comes in. We've been cleansed and cleaned. But not only that, being born again requires that cleansing. But also a spiritual transformation and a spiritual renewal where we effectively we're given a new nature, a new spiritual nature. Ezekiel says, you're going to take out that heart of stone and I'm going to be putting in a heart of flesh. It's a whole new thing that's going on of spiritual renewal and transformation. A transformation of hearts, no longer hearts of stone, but hearts that hunger to do the will of God. As Jesus speaks of needing to be born of both water and spirit, this promise in Ezekiel is in view. That's what is in mind, but it's missed by Nicodemus. He doesn't he doesn't make the connection. He doesn't link it up. There. We were at um, Children's Work Conference in, in Peterborough the last couple of days. Had a really excellent time. And one of the things that really stood out to me that was said in the first session was that salvation comes from revelation, not from information. Nicodemus had all of the, the information, but he still missed what Jesus was saying. You can sit and you could discuss for hours, upon days, upon weeks, upon years, and discuss salvation, but unless it moves beyond information and actually we have revelation, it, we'll miss it. We won't be able to understand it. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this about being born again. It says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's what Jesus is saying. needs to happen to Nicodemus. Whatever has come before, all of that's got to be done away with. You will actually be born into a new creation. There's something new to come for you. But again, this is what Nicodemus is missing. A new creation, a new nature, a new heart. What's come before is gone. We, we can sometimes speak of people turning over a new leaf, can't we? They've been in a the situation, they've turned over a new leaf and changed the, the direction that their life was going, they've changed their behaviour and the way that they act. That's not what Jesus is looking for. He's not calling us to turn over a new leaf. I don't mean to be disrespectful to anyone because actually I hear some amazing stories of the way that people have turned their life around. So I don't mean to diminish that in any way. But the thing about turning over a new leaf is that it's still dependent on us. It's about our efforts. It's about what we can achieve. Whether we're strong enough or resolute enough to to continue in the way that we want to go. Being born again is not about turning over a new leaf being born again is about being forgiven and restored with a new heart being transformed that actually whatever has come before has gone and whatever there's something new for us but it's not a work of us it's not can you continue to press on in your efforts it's not that it's the recognition of i could never do that by myself i'm totally dependent on jesus and on the holy spirit to bring new life to me nicodemus was a man who worked hard Nicodemus was a man who was committed. And in telling him that he needs to be born again, Jesus is asking him this question. He says, what did you do, sorry, what did you have to do with being born? Was it down to your hard work and your skillful planning? Did you bring it about? Did you earn it with your hard work? You don't earn or contribute anything to being born. I think it's a really great picture that Jesus uses because you you contribute nothing to it. You don't earn it. You don't bring it about. You don't contribute to the process. Likewise, there is nothing you could contribute to earn or merit salvation. It's a gift of life that's been freely given to you. New birth is a new beginning for the moral and the immoral, for the rich and the poor, for the insider and and the outsider for the popular and for the rejected we all have to start from scratch that's what being born again does for us gives us that new beginning that new chance that all of us need it just it's a it's a leveler for us we get to start from scratch i think the apostle paul was someone who really got this. The Apostle Paul is someone whose life was utterly transformed by Jesus and then lived with such uh, gratefulness and thankfulness, while all the while recognising that it was a gift that was given to him. The Apostle Paul probably had a fairly similar CV to Nicodemus. He described himself as a Hebrew of Hebrews by by birth, by generation after generation. He was part of uh, the, the Um, the Jewish race he was a Pharisee to the extreme he had impressive credentials, many reasons to be confident in who he was before God when we were doing our last series in Philippians, I think Luke was speaking on Philippians chapter 3 and Paul lists all of these things that actually he had every right in one way to be able to boast in, in the flesh this is who I am, this is my heritage, this is how I'm seen by other people, this is how passionate I am about God and about uh, the law um, and about moral people living a moral life and then he has an encounter with the resurrected jesus we read about that in acts not and from that point on this changes everything for paul nicodemus cuts to uh, sorry jesus cuts to nicodemus's self-satisfaction the confidence and assurance that he had in himself and in his status Cuts right to that. He was a guy who had plenty to boast in. The Apostle Paul was a guy who had plenty to boast in. But for Paul, his encounter with Jesus and his subsequent new birth leads him to write this. In Galatians 6, 14-15. Far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision but a new creation. Paul got that which at this point, at least Nicodemus, was yet to see. Paul recognised it doesn't matter what I've done. It doesn't matter what family I've been born into. It doesn't matter what standing I have in society. I can't boast in any of that. And actually I'm not going to boast in any of that anymore. The one thing I'm going to boast in is I'm going to boast in Jesus. And I'm going to boast in the cross of Jesus because that is what's changed everything me he says it doesn't matter that I was part of of the 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 Jewish people it doesn't matter that I was part of that nation that actually counts for nothing because now I'm a new creation I've been born into something else whatever's come before has been done away with I've been made new nothing that I've earned nothing that I've deserved nothing that I brought about in any way a free gift of God given Paul got it You can see how it changed everything for him. Jesus says to to Nicodemus, he says, talking about this, while Nicodemus is still struggling and Jesus is saying, you know, how can you not understand these things? Jesus says, if I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Jesus won't go on to speak to Nicodemus about the heavenly things, about the things of the kingdom, about what that would look like, about what that would mean. For those who are part of it. He says I'm not going to explain to you all those things all the while that Nicodemus does not understand what he's been saying about his need to be born again. That is the that is the starting point. Jesus is saying, I can't go beyond that until you grasp what I'm talking about here, about the fact that you need to be born again. Because that's where everything starts. An observation I've had and and probably heard a few times is that actually there are loads of different ways that you can get to God. You can work your path out. I'll work my path out. But as long as we get there, it's all right. So there are many ways to God, but not according to Jesus. There's one way. That's not just for Nicodemus. When Jesus says you must be born again, He uses the the plural form. He's not addressing Nicodemus individually. He's you as in everyone. the, The word that's used is the plural form of that word. He's saying everyone must be born again. That has to be your starting point. Remember, Nicodemus is having this conversation with Jesus at the very early stages of Jesus' ministry. People are trying to work out who Jesus is they're trying to work out is Jesus the Messiah that had been promised is he a good teacher actually is he someone that's just causing trouble and we want him to to be got rid of as as quickly as possible there's all sorts of different reactions but Jesus in his closing words to Nicodemus reveals actually he says this new birth that I'm talking about this need to be born again that is found in me Jesus talks about Moses and a serpent that's lifted up in the wilderness. And what he's referring to, we, we read about in Numbers 21. And you've got um, the nation of Israel. They were in the wilderness, grumbling, complaining, moaning. And as a result, God sends um, s- snakes into the camp, poisonous snakes. And they go to, to Moses and ask him to intervene for them and god says you need to make this um snake out of bronze and you you you're to put it up in the camp you're to lift it up and whoever gets bitten by the snake if they look upon that the the snake then they will live so jesus is calling this back to nicodemus's mind nicodemus would have known this story he's calling this back to his mind and jesus is making a connection between this and, and himself And it's it's really very clever what he does. Because he speaks about the Son of Man himself needing to be lifted up. And when he talks about him being lifted up, he's not just talking about in one sense. He's talking about in three senses. He's talking about his death, his resurrection and his exaltation. All three are fundamental to the good news of Jesus. Jesus was lifted up on a cross. To die a sinner's death in place of sinner's Bearing our sins, yet as one who knew no sin. In that sense, he was lifted up and bore our sins on the cross. Then Jesus was lifted up. He was raised to life through the resurrection. And as he he did so, he he was breaking the power of death. He was breaking the hold of death. And because it happened to Jesus, we can be confident that it will happen to us as well. So Jesus was lifted up on a cross Jesus was lifted up and raised up through the resurrection, then having appeared to his disciples, he was lifted up to heaven. He returned to his father's side at the right hand of God, exalted, seated at the right hand of God. So when Jesus is talking about the son of man being needed to lift it up, he's, this is all, he's talking about what is going, is going to happen, what is to come. And as the Israelites looked to the serpent that was lifted, and as they were restored to life, so we look to Jesus, who was lifted up for our sake, who was raised to defeat death, and who's been exalted forever, because a new birth into eternal life is found only in him. He so, Nicodemus, I've told you about this new birth that you need, and then he tells him where it can be found. Just as, as the Israelites looked to that serpent in the time of Moses, now and, and they found life there, had life restored, he said, now you need to look to me. And what I'll accomplish and achieve through my life, death, resurrection, exaltation, that's where you'll find this new life. That's where it's to be found. As a Jew, Nicodemus was expectant of the kingdom, and eternal life coming at the end of history. But the eternal life that Jesus speaks of begins the moment our new birth takes place. To be enjoyed now. It's not that we've been given a voucher to redeem at some later date. We've been born again. That's where this new life begins. We don't have to wait. Jesus saves us from hell. He saves us from an eternity without him. He does. He saves us from something but he also saves us into something he saves us into a grace-filled relationship with him he saves us into a relationship with him as his disciples to learn from him to grow in him to experience to experience life in the kingdom in the here and now (coughs) we have a hope we a security and assurance that Jesus one day is going to return for us. But while we look forward to that day, we can experience and encounter him now. We can experience the kingdom now. We can see the kingdom growing now and its territories increasing now. See, faith in Christianity, it it is about the afterlife, but it's about the here and now on earth as well. James, can you come up? we in a moment um, uh, yeah you can start playing when you want Um, we're going to have a time to 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 reflect and to respond and to, to think about ourselves really again when we were at the conference yesterday one of the seminars I was in they were looking at that commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and what that meant and a lot of what i was picking up was actually we need to be really examining ourselves often what is it that's in our heart how is the state of our soul is our soul well what's going on in our mind where are we finding our strength looking at the things that are, are inside not necessarily the things that would be seen by everyone else nicodemus he could see what was inside of nicodemus He could see that his foundation was based on who he was. He could see that Nicodemus' foundation was based on what he did and what his status was. He could see to that. But just as there was something deeper going on within Nicodemus, that's true for each one of us. That's true for us if we're yet to commit our lives to Jesus. If we're yet to experience his rescue for us, but it's also true for us it's true for those of us who have been born again, we actually need to, to think about what, what's going on inside of us. Is my soul well? What's filling my heart? Am I thinking with a, or feeling with a new heart mentality, or am I still thinking with an old heart? mentality. Even though I know I've been saved by Jesus even though I know I've been born again is there anything in my life that has actually got a hold of me to the extent where I feel like I still feel like I need to earn something or I still need to achieve something or I still need to strive for something. Or maybe there are things in your life where actually when, if people were to talk about sin, you think sorts of things that would come into your mind. You think actually I know that there are things in my life that just aren't compatible with this new life. That there's stuff going on in my life that actually, that's old life stuff, that's not new creation, new life stuff, that doesn't belong in the new creation. And I'm not saying this, I, what I don't want, I'm not saying this because I want to condemn people, I'm saying this as someone who themselves needs to reg- regularly look at my life. And think actually, is there stuff in my life that needs to be handed over to God and repented of? Are there? Am I still trying to earn myself? What am I putting my faith in? Is my faith truly in Jesus as I might say it is? Or actually, am I still relying on myself a little bit? So should we take some time? James is going to keep playing for a while. Let's take some time. Think about what's actually going on inside, not just what you might present on the outside. What's going on? Maybe there are things that you need to hand over to God to say, I'm sorry, something's crept in that's not quite right. Give it over to him. Then ask the Holy Spirit to come and help you. Or, if actually you feel, actually there's nothing that I can see like that, use this as a chance to express your gratitude and thankfulness to Jesus for what he's done for you. Look to Jesus, lifted up on the cross, but now raised to life and now seated at the right hand of the Father. Do you know why he went through that and why he did that? He did that for you. To earn what you couldn't earn for yourself, to bring about what you couldn't bring about for yourself. That is worthy of thanksgiving. That is worthy of gratitude. I'm speaking for myself in this moment. I think I need to be much quicker (laughs) at giving thanks to Jesus. And much more regular in giving him thanks. Because every day that I live now is a gift that's been given to me freely. So Take a moment. There's no pressure to do anything in a certain way now. This is between you and God. This isn't about what other people might see or what other people might expect of you. This is about the things that God knows anyway. God knows it anyway. So, this is between you and him. This is encounter him for yourself.